Welcome to Thinking Outside the Box with Gavin Rubinstein. Conversations between Gavin and the people he believes have trailblazed by thinking outside the box in their field, industry, or even just in his office. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Australia's number one auctioneer. You are the best in the business. It is a privilege to have you on the podcast. Damien Cooley, welcome. Thank you, Gav. Appreciate it. You and I have been working together for three, four years now exclusively. I mean, what I mean by exclusively, obviously do other agents auctions, but we only use you to auction our properties. Yep. And when we move into the new office, you'll be running a specific night, weekly running our auctions for TRG, which we cannot wait to do. And we've been talking about that for a long time. Me but, too. <laughs> you know, hold ups with counsel. It takes some time. When we first started working together, a couple of things happened just in terms of my experience. Obviously, I was working with other auctioneers previously. So working with other auctioneers and then coming to work with you, I noticed significant difference between just auctioneers and let's say practitioners, practitioner auctioneers. And we also started to get to kind of know each other and get to know each other, which was really cool. You told me how it all started for you back in the day, which was one of my favorite stories. And I'd love to kind of delve back into that. So people who don't know that about you kind of get across it. Where did it start for you? And and what were the challenges that you faced coming up? Because there were a couple, right? Yeah, I never (laughs) stop having challenges, right? Got quite a few at the moment. Never. For me, I left school in 98. I got straight into real estate. Well, I actually went to university for a week. I hated it. And one week, one week. I love that. The week was the, was the deadline because if you went the second week, the hex payment thing kicked in. Right, right, right. And I was like, no, I'm not going to be paying that. I'll get out now and I'll get into real estate. So I went. How how old were you at that time? I was nine, 18. Well, I was 18. Yeah. Not just maybe just turned 19. In fact, I was 18 because it was April 1999. So I'm 42 now. Um, there was a big hailstorm in Sydney. Right. Uh, ripped through Sydney and crushed houses and cars. And I had a little black Daihatsu charade that got written off after a week. But I got into real estate in a company called Elders Real Estate in Randwick. Sure. And the Andersons had that office. I wrote them a letter asking if I could have a position. And there wasn't a position available, but Robert Anderson pulled me into the office and I had a meeting and I got a job there. So essentially for two and a half, three years, I was a, a leasing consultant and property manager. Oh, so you started in PM. Yeah. I was right. made, back in those days, I managed, I think, 360 or oh, 370 properties. Right. And I was the leasing manager for 1,200 properties. Oof. So, you know, I laugh at uh, the way that property management's run at the moment in the sense that, you know, property manager, if they've got 200, they're freaking out. They're freaking out. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, People are softer today just in general. I mean, we know that, but. I think it for, for me, it was, I quite enjoyed the management side of things. I enjoyed understanding and learning about what a, what a property investment actually sure, was. Sure. Um, and we had a lot of owners that had owned blocks of buildings and, and apartments and houses and terraces and all sorts of things. So it was fun. I went in a novice auctioneers competition. It was a real estate well, just institute. Just for fun, you just go, hey. Well, Rob came down to me one day and said, there's this real estate institute novice auctioneers competition, I think you'd be really good. I think you should go in it because I used to really enjoy watching the auctioneers. There was a guy called Peter Kennedy who did the auctions and then Chris Maud who did the auctions for elders and I used to love watching those guys thinking far out, I think I can do that. And I went in that competition, I won the regional final and I went to the state final which was a local title held in Bondi. No training, just go. No training, just watching, yeah. And I went in that competition and I won that competition. 
and Scott Kennedy Green from McGraw was yeah, one of the judges. Scott, yeah, yeah. And Scotty pulled me aside and I ended up taking a job with McGrath. So you just fell into this. I literally That's fell unbelievable. into it. It's yeah. so often how many times I speak to the greats in what they do and almost search for, you know, a esoteric type, amazing story that represents poise in every single way. And it's just so often you hear... I fell into it and probably for the wrong reasons. But that to me just says, you know, how meant to be it really was because that's always the best scenario, right? Yeah. Look, I don't think I ever really set out to be a real estate agent as such. I I preferred watching the auctioneers and I did seeing an agent get a deal together, for example. Yeah. But I was pretty young and naive at that stage too. So I didn't really understand how to get a deal together or, or what the financial reward of getting a deal together was. Sometimes I look back on that now and I think, far out, dude, did you make the right decision or not? (laughs) But look, especially with the market the way it's been the last few years, but now it's it's getting hell of a tougher. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that later too. Yeah, it is. But for me, I always understood that in our business, it's fee for service. So the only way that we can either make more money is to either charge more or do more. And people are often surprised when they hear you know the volume of auctions that I actually call. I mean, in 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 the my first year of auctioning, I did three hundred and ninety two auctions. That's a lot. And my my number one, my best year was 2015. And I did 2,364. Wow. Yeah. In That's a year. insane. Insane. A boy made bank 2015. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting now as a 42-year-old just looking back. I mean, that was only eight years ago, but looking back on that now, I was probably the fittest I ever was. I did two Ironmans. Um, I was running marathons. I did that many auctions. I wasn't charging as much as I am now, but there was strategy in in trying to do less and charge more. 100%. That, that doesn't surprise me at all because it's all correlated. Yeah. Scott Kennedy Green offered you a job at McGrath at the yep. time. He said, just come on, we, come and work with me. Come and work with us. I was a junior auctioneer, yep. novice auctioneer. I was in property management and I was there for a little while. So you're doing both. I was a property manager, essentially. Okay. And which kind of supplemented the income. And I was learning to be an auctioneer. Love. Okay. So I would jump in the car with Scott most weekends, watch him. He's I'd, a good dude. I like yeah, Scott. Yeah, I like Scott. Yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. We're friends. And I jumped in the car with John quite a few times and Johnny. watched John auction. Legend. All of that experience, I learned a lot at McGrath. Sure. John doesn't auction anymore, huh? Not anymore. I think occasionally he comes back for a bit of an auction cameo. He won like a, I remember seeing, only because I've, I've always been just a admirable of kind of what John has done, right? He he won a competition too. Yeah, some, he was Australasian auctioneering was, champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Right. I was a finalist five times. Well, <laughs> Decided to hang the boots up after I didn't win the fifth time. <laughs> Persistence though, yeah. at least you tried. That's, I, I really, uh, I tried a lot and I just decided that it wasn't for me and yeah. I needed to concentrate on what I do well and that's just calling auctions. Yeah, love, okay. So I then actually went jackarooing. I went jackarooing, just I left McGrath. Hold Legitimately left McGrath. What's Jackaroo? The first time. What is Jackaroo? <laughs> Jackaroo. Do you know what Jackaroo? <laughs> fuck, neither do I. <laughs> Jackarooing's where. So I went to boarding school. It was a school in Campbelltown called St. Gregory's College, and I did agriculture, something that you may not know. I was the under 25s junior wool classing champion. What, um, what classing? <laughs> wool classing, <laughs> sheep. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, wool fleeces. <laughs> um, funny part about that was this that- This guy's a jack of all trades, I'm telling you. He knows a lot you of know, shit. You know, you had four fleeces and you had to put them in order, first, second, third, and fourth, and there was always generally a standout first and a 
stand out fourth and the, the two in the middle were probably the hardest. But if you got them in the right order, you then had to get up and hold the microphone and give a description as to why you put them in that order. Okay. And I think that's where I excelled against all the country kids who weren't as good as speaking in front of an audience as, as what I was. Yeah. But you didn't have auctioneering experience at that point. No. You no. just naturally- Public speaking, debating. You just had that. Yeah, yeah. And I did public speaking and debating at school. Right. And I enjoyed um, getting up in front of people. I mean, as a kid, I was always outgoing and- Sure. And- Loud. Um, and Loud. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was that kid. I actually went droving cattle. So I sat on a horse for nine months. Slept out in a swag under the stars for nine months. And we had 2,000 head of Charbray cattle, which is a crossbreed. And we had those steers and we had them on the road for nine months in, during a drought. There was no feed up in a place called um, Tarum near Roma. So we took them on the road, the cattle. And that was an amazing experience. I actually remember that 9-11 happened whilst I was away. I remember that because we got the news about, you know, four, everyone four, remembers five days when that happened. After. We were just talking about that the other week. It's like everyone remembers what they were doing and where they were at that that tragic day. Yeah. So I, I came back eventually from Jackarooing and working on cattle stations and so whatnot. So nine months Jackarooing. And, nine months and, Jackarooing. and how many years experience in, in real estate before that? I think I had about three. Okay. So you did three, you like real estate, Miss Jackarooing. Go and jack a ruing. Went and did that. Look, a lot of my mates went on the gap year. They went you overseas. Were young. You were like, what, yeah. 20, 21, 22? I yeah. wanted to start becoming a full-time auctioneer. And you determined that when? When you were at jack a I determined it before I went jack a ruing. Oh, right. Okay. Because I wanted to go and get that out of my system Smart. before I came back. Right. So it was kind of like a blow off steam, get ready to lock in. And I distinctly remember ringing Scott whilst I was away right. saying, mate, I'm ready to come back. I came back and I worked at McGrath. And I think I was there for like two months. And then Scott pulled me into the office one day and said, mate, it's all over. Get out of here. You're done. So he pulls you in two months after coming back. Look, don't quote me on the months. Maybe right. it was three, but right. yeah, it was pretty soon. What happened? I had a disaster auction. It was an almost an unforgivable auction. You know, we, we had a property that we were trying to sell. I was yep. trying to extract every single possible bid. Yep. It hadn't hit the reserve price, but I was saying everything but. It's on the market. Right. You know, the property will be sold at the fall of a hammer. <laughs> I mean, you, you're starting out. I mean, you, this, you, this is what you got, you got to go through this to get yeah. great, you know? I made big mistakes, particularly. In the, look, in that auction, it was on the in the paper the next day. Auctioneer Damien Curry. And uh, <laughs> while, whilst I have a little Lebanese heritage, my name's Cooley, not Curry. So that was pretty funny. And I got sacked. Wow. Yeah. And I think it was probably easier just to let me go than it was to to deal with it, you know, media. And I was young, naive. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember sitting on, on my uh, girlfriend at the time's bed in a one or two bedroom apartment in Mount Street, Coogee, just going, oh, mate, life's over. Yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah. And I thought- As you would at that age with that sort of yeah. catastrophe, right? I mean, just- What am I going to do? So I said, I'm going to start an auction business. And I, I called it Rescom Auctions for residential and commercial Rescom Auctions. Later changed it to Cooley Auction Services, and now our business being Cooley. And and in hindsight, it was the best, best thing that ever happened, happened to, to me you. because it forced me to actually. It also forced me to grow up a lot, young, quite naive. Yeah. As an auctioneer, you you're in front of a crowd all the time. There's a lot of ego involved. Yep. And starting Cooley, that's when I yeah that year I had 392 etc. and thousand two thousand, and off it went. It's crazy. Like Tom Panos says that some of life's greatest gifts come badly wrapped. 
that's got to be an example of that, right? Because if we consider the alternative, which is you didn't stuff up or you didn't have that bad experience and you weren't fired, I mean, you still may have opened your own business and what is probably or is the best auctioneer house in the country, right? You would have stayed there for several years and it wouldn't have forced you to go out early to be able to do this. And I think at the time when I did start that, the auctioneers that were in the market at that time were certainly a lot more experienced than I was. They had many more years on me. And maybe that was also an advantage of mine is that I came in young, fresh, keen, hungry. I met more agents than they were meeting. I made more phone calls than they were making. I went to open for inspections. I inspected every property I was going to auction. I didn't really talk with a lot of vendors at that stage because the agents were too nervous to put me in front of a vendor because I looked so young. (laughs) Um, I remember, you know, 21 years of age, 23, I started my business, but, you know, at a young age, Matt LaHood actually was what a guy who gave me one of my first auctions at McGrath. Scott right. Kennedy Green had to beg him to give me an auction, beg, literally beg him to give me an auction. I went and did that auction and I think I used every single one of Scott Kennedy Green's one-liners yeah. that I posi- that he had. Yeah. He came up to me after the auction. He said, mate, you just used every single auction line that I have. I said, mate, I didn't know what else to say. Do you remember any of them? <laughs> yeah. I give, mean, look, the, me fir- the first me auction, God, I'm not a one-liner guy anymore. I'm a really straight up and down, quite no, professional, no, not funny. There's people laughing all the time at your auctions. Maybe you don't try to be funny, but I think you can be quite funny at times. <laughs> Throughout the podcast, I'll try and remember okay, one. Good, good. For me, it was all about people. It wasn't about the property and it wasn't about the agent and it wasn't about, like we obviously market the agent and we represent them. But for me, it was all about who are the people who are bidding and what do I think that they're going to pay? People often ask me, you know, what's that property worth? Yeah. I go, I got no idea. What do you think this place is worth? Or I want you to talk about these attributes about the home and I want you to talk about this. And, and you're playing the man, not the house. Correct. Or if you feel like you can get more out of that guy and you've got a great ability to read that person on the floor just from my reading of you in the last three, four years, you're going to push. Yeah. Doesn't mean you'll get it every time, no. but you're still going to push, right? Yep. Interesting. And your game plan, like when you're just winding it back a second, sitting on the bed, 23, 24, however years old, and you say to your girlfriend at the time, I'm going to start my own auction business. What was the game plan? Did you have one and what did it look like? Or were you just like sink or swim? I'm going to give this all I got type vibe. I was renting an apartment with two mates. We were in Beecham Road in Maroubra. Right. And I distinctly remember our rent was 450 bucks a week. It was $150 a week each. I couldn't pay the rent because I'd done an auction and I was waiting for, like in those days, literally receive a check to have to take it to the bank and bank it. I remember going to the real estate agency and paying, you know, the 300 from my two mates and saying, look, one of the boys hasn't paid yet. Once I get their money, I'll bring it in. So we're always in arrears in rent. That quickly changed and we got in front. And the game plan was I used to get dressed every day in a suit even though I was renting an apartment and that was my office. I'd make phone calls. I used to cut newspaper clippings out of the paper and send them to agents that I wasn't auctioning for. And for example, say, you know, amazing property. I hope the auction goes really well. If your auctioneer isn't isn't available and you need somebody else, I'd be thrilled if you thought of me. So prospecting like straight, straight. Yeah, cold look, I didn't really know what I was doing, to be frank, <laughs> but um, turns out it worked. <laughs> I think because I was young and keen and I was could hold a conversation yeah. well and I was exciting when I called an auction. I think one of the biggest differences back then and still now is that I think I'm an exciting auctioneer to watch. Extremely. There's momentum. Yeah, there's, yeah, 100%. You know, it's not yeah. boring. Nah. Some people 
say I call a, an auction a little bit like a race call or a little bit like a horse or cattle auction. But I used to love going and watching, like for example, at the English sale yards, and I still to this day go to and watch, you know, Jonathan Darcy doing auction auctioning horses. I used to go out to Camden and watch the cattle auctions because I, I loved watching those auctioneers and listening to their patter. And I felt like a lot of the Sydney auctioneers were Boring. Um, boring. Yeah. No, John they, was. They, John still, was, they still are, by the way. John was exciting. <laughs> I mean, he was a great property presenter. Probably one of the biggest influences in my ability as an auctioneer is a guy called Peter Etheridge. And Pete has had a profound impact on the way that that I call an auction. And Pete used to say that most most auctioneers aren't actual auctioneers. They're audit takers. If somebody bids, they add the numbers up. They don't chase the bid. They don't tell you what the bid's going to be. They don't, if they give you a bid, most auctioneers just take it. You know, whereas for me, it's all about, okay, you've offered me that, but can I get more? Or you're prepared to pay that. And okay, the owner's prepared to sell it for that, but you're going to pay more. So that's what we're there to do. I think one thing that you talk about value propositions, yep. I think one of my biggest value proposition is you squeeze the lemon dry. Yeah. Coming from working with past auctioneers and then working with you. There is a difference and people know the difference. So we talk about this thing called brand, like what is the Damien Cooley brand or what is a brand for anyone or anything that is renowned or known for something it does great. Most times there's a reason why. And there's definitely a reason why with you because I noticed that difference working with them and now working with you. I felt like some of the load was taken off my shoulders because as you know, I work the floor religiously too yep. with the buyers I've got, but then to have someone else there who was squeezing people for bids and not accepting lower bids and asking for higher bids or the way in which you do it is incredible, but that there is a big difference. And, and I think, you know, one thing that I've learned from working with you is that sometimes we can, it's a bit good cop, bad cop, where I might be saying, no, I want a higher bid and yeah. you might turn around and say, no, take it. That's good because that makes you look good for the buyer. And it may, makes me look a little bit like the bad guy, but being the bad guy is good too in some circumstances. 100%. So chasing bigger increments or smaller increments. thats To me, that's what I love about being an auctioneer. What else makes a great auctioneer? I think really being able to read the play, and I know that's a quite a cliched statement, but it being able to really go into an auction and say, no, this person's going to pay more. I mean, ultimately, I'm, I'm remunerated to not only get a result, but get the best result. I think I really wear my heart on my sleeve is that every single time I go into an auction, I really try my best. I've never seen you chill. Yeah, I, I try my hardest. I have never seen like when you're calling an auction, an off button for you. And I'm sure like you're human, right? So so you must be going through challenges like all of us do. You must have some off days. I've never seen you have an off day, whether it's been like challenging auction, an easy auction. And you would think if it's an easy auction, right, you could somewhat relax rest on your laurels a little bit, this will take care of itself. You go even harder in those situations and scenarios. I wonder where that comes from. And have you had any, because you say at the start you had no formal training. Still to this day, have you had no formal training? As an auctioneer, there's no real formal training, but I've worked with great auctioneers. I mean, as I said, like watching Scott, watching John, um, you know, I learned a lot from those guys about the way how to handle yourself in terms of your presentation, um, standards of excellence, I learned a lot from McGrath from uh, around those things. Peter Etheridge for me really taught me how to be an auctioneer. Yeah, right. How to genuinely be an auctioneer, not not just an audit taker, somebody to, that chases the bid and determines what the increments will be, not being told what they're going to be. I love that phrase, audit taker. It, it's very very similar to 
real estate agents because so many real estate agents are order takers. Yeah. And like I always talk about this concept of having to, you know, control the traffic, learn how to control the traffic and control the momentum. Like so many times a buyer said to me, I'm not interested in that house and I've got them there and I've sold it to them. I would never buy in that area and I've got them there and I've sold it to them. Or a vendor said, there's no way I'll use you, but why don't you meet me for 20 minutes, 30 minutes and I've listed the property. Like if you can learn how to control that momentum and not be just an audit taker, but maybe an audit giver, call it, I think your whole business and world changes, right? I think that there's a lot of agents that literally say, okay, I'm, I'm selling a house. I've got a buyer that wants to pay a price. Let's get the owner to take it rather than Let's- how much is this buyer going to pay to get the owner the best price? And I think that that's one thing that I, that I always try and train the agents that I work with is about pushing them to go back and negotiate harder. Like you're not afraid to pass something in and go into the negotiation rooms because you know that a buyer is going to pay more. Well, how many times have we worked on the floor where you've got the highest bidder and they've outbid themselves to own the property? I mean, we've done that countless times yep. and and sometimes hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. But you're 100% right. I mean, you need the ability to read the play. And I guess that just comes from experience. Yep. What else or how else can you learn how to read the play better? Well, experience is a big thing because the more the more of anything you do, the better you're going to get. You know, for me now, I've called, you know, tens of thousands of auctions. So I've seen every scenario pretty much take place. Yep. I feel like I understand well when a buyer is going to pay more or when they're not. Yeah. I, I love coming up against buyer's agents because there's some great buyer's agents that bid really well and yep. there's some awful ones that... <laughs> And I, and I think, what, look, just the one real easy thing, right? For buyer's agents, I, I get a bit of a chuckle about because they're representing someone. So they have a limit of what they can or can't pay for a property. Yep. Now, if we get to a point where in the auction where they're the highest bidder and we may be selling, but they've been bidding confidently or haven't, but they're the highest bidder. If they haven't gone to make any phone call or they haven't signaled for any instruction, to you me, know, all that's more. They've just got more. Yeah. Yeah. So- <laughs> We put different strategies in place to to combat how the buyer's agent feels. For example, we might do a vendor bid that's way too high because we know that it's going to be a harder negotiation. And then there's buffer. And there's buffer. Yeah. Or we, we just negotiate. Look, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sure. But I mean, nothing works 100% of the time. Let's be real about it. But I guess when it doesn't work, you don't feel bad on yourself or question your ability. You just move on to the next. Yeah, I, I, I get a great thrill out of the bidding sequence and the emotion that buyers show me through everything but what they say. Yeah. Facial expressions, body language, where their hands are, whether they're wearing sunglasses or not, whether they're at the back of the room or the front of the room, the way that they hold their card up. I say things during an auction to try and find out whether a buyer's about to bid. And I'll give you You an example. It's like you test test them, them, yeah. And, And the devil's in the detail, right? And that's why this whole attention to detail piece, which I am fanatical about, have always been fanatical about, is so important in so many aspects of the real estate business, right? It's very difficult not to give away some sort of facial expression, body language to me. Give me an example. You're about to give me an example. Like, so we might have a reserve of $2 million. Yep. We've got one buyer. We're in an auction room. So for all intensive purposes, there might be three or four buyers. Sure. We think the buyers around 1.9. The owner will take that but we've got to reserve it $2 million, hypothetically. I might ask for an opening bid. Now, I know that if I ask for 1.8, they're probably going to feel comfortable, but I might ask for 
two million. And I just want to see what their reaction is to the number that I say. Yeah, well, we're not paid to make the buyers feel comfortable, are right. we? <laughs> so I can immediately, you as soon as be. I said the two million, if their facial expression is, oh, that's a lot, I know that that's too high. So maybe vendor bidding one nine or one eight fifty is appropriate. And I might come down. I might say, well, what about one nine fifty? Now a buyer might say, I'll start at one eight fifty. Right. Now most auctioneers will just take it. Because like, wow, I've got a bid. I'm going to take it. You push it. back all the time. I'm going to push yeah. back and say, yeah. look, 1850 is not enough. You yeah. know, I want two or 1950. Can we say 1950? No. Why not? Can we say 1950? So I'm looking at their body language at that point, not just necessarily about their whether they say yes or no. It's it's more about the way they say yes or no. It's strategy based with you always, and yep. I think it makes a, a huge difference. The office now is obviously you started your gig, and here we are. As easy as that. What does the the office look like? How many auctioneers you got? How many auctions are you calling for the group on a yearly basis? Like what? Give, give me the landscape. Fifteen, sixteen auctioneers. That's changing changes all the time. Yep. Like sometimes we get more, sometimes we get less. Like most businesses, we've pro- we've got a handful of auctioneers that do the majority of the sure, volume. Sure. So your auctioneers pay you a, a they piece. Con- they of- contract through us. Okay. And then yeah. they'll pay you a percentage of whatever they, exactly. and then they're represented as coolie auctions. Correct. Right. Look, it's, I think the auctioneering space as a, as a business is harder than it has ever been yep. in the sense that, you know, for an auctioneer, it's a, it's quite cheap for them to, to go out and start their own business, sure. mobile phone, car, sure. run sure. a few auctions, sure. do some deals. And it's a very personable business as well. Personal, I should say. Um, where they develop a relationship with an agent. So mm-hmm. it's more challenging to retain auctioneers. But the retention of anybody is all around what you remunerate them, how they're treated, the way you make them feel. Key. These things are, are things that I work hard on. Most of our auctioneers who have come through the ranks and who are with us now have generally started off being employed by us. I use Jake as an example. Thank I mean, Jake's you. a great auctioneer. Jake started off with us on a basic salary answering phones, helping with auction bookings, coming around watching me do auctions. Yep. Jake famously uh, sold a property many years ago now, sold a property under under reserve but knocked the hammer down. <laughs> and uh, Steve Nichols was there and wrote an article about it and that was oh. half a disaster. Um, but, but you, you didn't know, sack him like you got sacked. Yeah, so I remember at the time, you know, and Jake and I laugh about that situation now, but I remember at the time, you know, we look back on that now and I remember saying to Jake, I said, mate, like, this is what happened to me, but I'm, this is not going to happen to you. Now he's one of the best auctioneers in, he is. You know, in Sydney without and, any and, question. And he's just a good dude. Great guy. How many auctions are you guys running on a, on an annual basis when you put it all? Look, in the peak, when we, a couple of years ago, we did 6,000 um, for the company. Yeah, just over 6,000. Last year, we took a significant hit. 6,000. Thousand. Yeah. I mean, I was properly shitting myself in COVID. Uh, yeah. Of course got, you would have been. Got, but you adapted too. You you really adapted. You pivoted. Yeah. You pivoted real quick. I noticed that and you, you came up with this online auctioneer. Yeah. Well, I developed that two years before COVID. I only probably regret and then maybe not so much regret, but I sold it about a week before COVID. <laughs> Did you? I still retain shares in the company, which is which is real tear, which is an amazing yeah. business. Yeah. Um, but I, I look back and laugh on that now. But I look, I distinctly remember the the night that we said that's they said that's it, no more auctions face to face. I had forty two auctions booked in in Double Bay, forty two, and the, that was the Monday. I'm pretty sure. And the Tuesday, I mean, I didn't virtually didn't sleep that night. And the Tuesday, we had we ran two auctions. There were forty properties that did Whoa. not go up. 
you know, aside from everyone not wanting to pay fees and all that sort of thing, which was a challenge in itself and how to handle that, um, for us, we'll, it was a nerve-wracking period of like, well, where's our business? And what do you do in that situation? What do- well, we we had the online platform. Uh, I think we were probably the best positioned as an auction business against all of our competitors in the sense that um, we all were already using a, a hybrid model where we had some the ability for people to bid online mm-hmm. and the ability for them to bid in person. Mm-hmm. Realtor Cell, which is the brand now, we were already live streaming our auctions. Mm-hmm. So it was actually quite an easy transition for us. Right. We actually had phone calls from every other auctioneer saying, how do you use this thing? Where I'd been ringing them for the last six months saying, you should be using this thing. Yeah, right. Um, so, Trying to get in a- Yeah, yeah, yeah. look, and build, build that business. Yeah. But- I'm super proud to be involved in Realtor now. They're yeah. a great company. The The way that we use online and in person works beautifully together. You know, you're still able to have phone calls with buyers and, and speak with them because often that personal touch and that one-on-one conversation enables you to actually get a bid. But you'll be amazed at how many people love bidding online and you'll be amazed at uh, also about some people who just absolutely categorically won't do it. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's. A, I like the real thing. Part. I, I like mean, the real I mean, thing look, too. We and we ran a lot of auctions, sold a lot of property together off of it, and it was great and it works. But I like to get up and feel the buyer. I like the tension. I like the pressure. I like the, I like the vibe of an auction room. Yeah, the vibe you can't beat it on. Purely online was great and has been great and is great for some properties. Not that it's property specific, but more about in different circumstances, they, it works really well. I think if every single buyer is online, it's it's actually better than having one person online and everyone else in the room. It's a bit of a test too, Gav. Like We, we know that more often than not, and not every time, but more often than not, the better buyers are in the room. But we do sometimes still get people who genuinely just can't be there and there's time differences. They could well be overseas and they're bidding as online bidders and they bid super well yeah. um, and it's great. Coming back to that, I think we were well positioned during COVID to handle that scenario. Yeah, right. Um, and our numbers picked up and then we all know what happened straight after COVID and we came out of lockdowns like the market went, the market was solid and you know numbers it picked went up strength to strength and what 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 are you on track to to do this year so far um, about 5000 auctions 5000 yeah. that's crazy numbers yeah. man difference between i mean i know them but just for people listening right you've got on-site auctions you've got in-room auctions yeah. i'm not a fan of on-site auctions i mean you know that but you do a lot of on-site auctions that work really well what do you prefer what do you think is better what what is your view on the two I like the control of a room. Yep. I, I like being in a, an environment that I can control. Whether you've got one buyer, five buyers, or 15 buyers, a room gives you the ability to have multiple properties going up on a night, and buyers don't know what other buyers are registered for on what properties. So I feel like you can control that environment. You know, whether it plays a part, cold, wet, hot, all those sorts of things. Yep. And I think it also gives agents a bit more flexibility with actually running a better quality open home by running in-room auctions because you're at the mercy of can you get an auctioneer on a Saturday? You're at the mercy of what time can that auctioneer do it? Most agents who do on-site auctions like to do their their auction during the open for inspection time or straight after and you've got to hope that your auctioneer is available. If they're not available, you have to get the next person or the next person or the next person. A lot of uncontrollables. Yeah, and I think for agents, particularly volume agents, it's just impossible to, if you've got volume of property on the market, you, you just can't, it's very difficult to run on-site auctions. The argument that I know John used to always say about you can't replace the emotional energy you have at a, at a home. 
Yeah, of course. But I mean, if you can't find parking and it's raining, pissing down, there's not much emotional energy going it's, on, it's, right? No. It doesn't matter. Doesn't it's, matter how nice the home is. That's I don't just, think it's even. It, look, it's that, but it's also like the the buyer builds that emotional connection yep. in the three four weeks you have during the open for inspections. They know they want it by that time. You know, I mean, I've seen real emotions flowing in rooms. Real emotions. Real, like I've never seen more emotions than I see sometimes. You know, we we had we had one the other night that sold for six million over reserve. You can't tell me that that would have not sold for six million over reserve if it was on site, opposed yep. to in room, or, or whether it would have sold for more if it was on site. The buyer makes up their mind what they're going to pay before they get to the room, and then subject to the bidding on the night, and depending on how much they want it, whether they pay more or whether they don't. Where was that property? That was in Watson's Bay. Yeah, right. Another yep. one, fourteen mil. Fourteen mil. Yeah, cracker. Yep. Interesting. Good location and a good segue into currently what the market's doing. Like you're at the coalface. I'm at the coalface. I find the media has done, and I'm generalizing here, nothing but get it wrong this year. Like, and, and I'll explain to you what I'm saying. Like start of the year, they were talking it down, but things were firing. Like, and you're always going to have that $14 million sale and anomaly is always going to occur, but I'm talking broad range market, right? For the macro part. Now they're saying it's getting better. But calling a spade a spade, and I'm the most positive person, you know, in the room always, but I'm realistic too. Shit is challenging now. I would probably say the most challenging since the correction. Are you noticing that from where you're sitting or what are you seeing at the moment? Yeah, it looked different. And, and let's be real about it, right? Yeah, I'm, look, I'm, I'm probably one of the most pessimistic people on the market <laughs> right now. <laughs> there are pockets that are actually doing well. Yeah. And and in, incidentally, like out west is actually doing quite well. Looks to be, yeah. And affordability, different levels of affordability. I think one thing that we notice here in the east is when the market sort of goes to shit a bit, People don't have to sell. Many people don't have to sell. So they just don't sell. And anyone who is selling right now, look, births, deaths, marriages, divorces, you know, upsizing, downsizing. Motivation, honey. Yeah. There's no speculation selling right now. Yeah. They're not like, oh, the market's flying. Let's sell. It's like, okay, is there a bit of a purple patch in the market? Let's put the property on. I also think that it has a lot to do with generating buyers and getting buyers to the auction room floor. So- Without any doubt, you've got to have the right guide to get the right amount of buyers to the auction room. It's important. It's important. Like it or not, that's what you need to do to get buyers to the room. It also gives you clarity on the value when you talk about the right guide. If you've got no buyers there, you have the value wrong. Yes. If you have buyers there, well, guess what? You've got it right now. We found the sweet spot. Where's that competitive tension going to take it? Yeah. But are you noticing, and you've done this a long time, the most volume in Australia, are you noticing right now that gap between buyer and seller? And they're, look, let's face it, our business is managing that gap. There's always going to be that gap. But are you noticing now it's kind of further apart or is it much of the same in, in what you've seen? Oh, look, I, th- I think that there was definitely a point where buyers, vendors' expectations were significantly more than buyers. Yeah. I think the gaps got closer. Like our clearance rate last month sat at around 74% or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturday, uh, not Saturday, just gone. The one before that, you know, we're around sort of 77%. And this Saturday just gone? Where was um, it? Saturday just gone. I actually only had a couple of auctions. I didn't see the clearance rate. But like 70s, 80s. They're, you, they're good markets. You've got to be looking at it going, if my property is not selling, I need Why? to realign my expectation yep. or I need to understand who my agent is, what the process is, and and is that wrong? Yeah. Looks, oh, there, are, there are agents who have auction clearance rates internally within their businesses of anywhere between 70 and, and 80, 85%. Yeah. But across the board, we say a normal auction market is 50 to 60%. Yeah. A good market is 60 to 70. Yeah. A strong market is 70 to 80. And a boom market is 80 plus. 
right now, buyer's market is like 40%. Have you had that before? Absolutely. What's the lowest? 34%. Damn, when was that? Yeah. Uh, the the year escapes me, but yeah, I'm sure <laughs> I've erased that from my mind. <laughs> Look, I think um, put I think me that, put me in that scenario. I'd love a scenario like that only because I know others better agent shine. Yeah, would 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 be struggling. So I'd be like, this is an opportunity to come in. We're we're not in that time where agents could go in and tell a vendor, you know, a stupid number of what they think their property's oh, worth oh, and get but, it. But people are still doing it. They're still doing oh it, God, but they're not getting the stay. price. Yeah. The, the 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 challenge, well, they used to be able to get away with that because they'd tell them a big number, they'd run to auction, it wouldn't happen. Yeah. And it'd end up going to the next agent or the next agent and they'd end up selling it. And why is that? It's because the owner has come around to what the property's actually worth. Well, they get ready to accept reality. Yeah. And they're not ready in that first part. And on that, what makes a good agent? Because I mean you've I mean you've seen it all. Right. Well, from 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 the start till now and continue. I assume you've got at least another 10, 15 years of solid work in you. Yep. What makes a good agent? Top auction agents right now are taking on saleable listings or motivated sellers. Yeah. You know, I don't mind if an owner wants too much because everyone wants to get a great price. Yeah. But if there's motivation around selling, they've invested in their marketing, mm. there's a reason for, for why they're selling. I'm a, I'm a believer in you remove prices as a barrier, get the buyers to the room, let yeah. them determine what the value of the property is, not, not the owner tell them what they want or the agent say this is what it's worth. I also believe that the best agents just make more phone calls than everybody else. You know, they're winning more listings, obviously. Talking to more people. Yep. Talking to more people and getting more people to the room. Yeah. The, the beauty of auction is that there is a strategy around getting sold. There is urgency for a vendor. There's urgency for a buyer. There's also urgency for an agent because there's a lot of things that an agent needs to do in an auction campaign that they don't do in a private treaty campaign. If you ask any agent right now that they've got an auction date coming up next week and they've got a property listed private treaty, which one they have more energy around, it's the auction. 100%. And a deal can get done, yeah. whether it's before the auction, at the auction or after. So there, there is no doubt that the agents that are the best in the industry make more calls than everyone else, work harder than everyone else, have a stronger work ethic than everybody else. They also don't let their pride get in the way of a deal. And that's an interesting one because it's like, Pride and ego are sometimes an interpretation of the same thing. And a lot of people talk about a lot of top agents of having, you know, too big an ego, too much pride, but you're 100% right in that case. It's not even a factor, right? Sometimes when you're negotiating and a buyer's not giving you what you want, it's easy to get your back up against the wall and feel like, hey, I'm not winning the negotiation. Well, they're not going to take that, but they might. I think where some some agents maybe don't, do well is where they go in with an attitude of we just got to get this sold. You know, just because an owner yeah. needs to sell or has to sell doesn't mean you have to take that price. Yeah. Well, you want a quick, easy deal. Yeah. And that's not the play because particularly if you plan to build a career long term, you know, if you're selling in an area and you do that sort of bullshit, people are going to catch on pretty quick and you're not going to last long and you won't be busy at all moving forward. So my strategy in, in my business was always like, it's a small industry, do the right thing by people. Try and be as humble as you can about what it is that you do. I've made errors and mistakes in my career on that front, no doubt. But, you know, be the best you can because if you annoy someone, well, that person's going to tell that person and that person and that person and all of a sudden, you know, everyone knows and you you won't have a business. It's hard to be, and I'm not saying you're 
suggesting you're perfect in any way, shape, or form. You just you can't you, be you everything make, to everyone. You, you can't, right? There's going to be like, accept that you're going to piss some people off directly, yeah. indirectly, learn from it rightly or wrongly. It's just going to happen. Like, I had a vendor the other day go to me, um, really nice house, seven, eight million dollar listing. I'm pitching for it. She was a, a unique personality. Like, I haven't dealt with people who have that personality often. So it was a challenge, which I always enjoy. But she said to me, you know, three separate people have told me that you can be aggressive. And I'm like, aggressive? I'm like, I'm like five foot, five, four, <laughs> five, five, four and a half on a good day. I'm like, what do you mean I can be aggressive? And, you know, to just to peel that back even further straight away and instinctively, my mindset is always about, I fight for the vendor always. And, and naturally, when you're representing one party of a two-party transaction that is very emotional, that involves millions of dollars, over time, you're going to piss some people off because you're looking out for one party's interest. And so naturally, I just straight away was like, have I sold for any of them? And she's like, no. And I'm like, doesn't surprise me. I'm like, number one, I'm not there for the buyer. I'm there for the seller. And I said, number two, when you've got someone protecting your most valuable asset, well, I mean- I, I know I've been described as aggressive before, but you want someone with a bit of a bit of fire. By you, you actually don't want an order taker in in that and at that stage, you want someone who's going to push back. Because let me tell you, if buyers get an opportunity to push back, they will. Whether it's before an auction or at an auction, their intention is how can I get this for the least amount of money. Mm. Whereas our objective is, well, how do we get the most amount of money? And that's where you see a, a lot of the tension. That comes back to negotiation, right? So when you're negotiating a deal, I think this is actually one thing that not many agents do well is negotiate. I agree. I agree. 100%. I know that's a sad thing to say. It's but, wild, is it? Because that's your job. Your right? job Your job is to market the property, get as many people there as possible to the right demographic, and then you've got to be in a position to negotiate effectively for your client. And I think for, for a vendor's point of view, I think one thing they don't hear enough of in a listing is an agent saying to them, has any other agent shown you how they negotiate? My best way to learn that as a vendor is the fee. Yeah. Like, I mean, what, there is no better way in terms of negotiating a fee because, and I say this to a, to a prospective vendor all the time, look, you can call, I'll give you a Rolodex of people you can call who will do it below a certain level. Below a certain level, I won't be doing it at that. I'm happy to talk and go a little bit back and forward, but don't expect me to accept the first number you put forward. And even in negotiations when they'll say, ah, oh, well, will you do it at X percent? And I'll push back and I'll say, no, I won't, but I'll do it at Y percent. And they get frustrated. Well, I'll just go with this other agent who is going to do it even below that. And I said, well, they're going to work the same way in your property. These guys don't know how to negotiate. That style is adopted throughout the whole process. Someone without that aggression, without that fire, without the ability to push back, just mm. like you push the room, like- you don't want that in someone who's representing your sale because they're going to do the same thing with the buyer. Yeah. And, and even maybe go one step further, Gav, next time show them like a bidding sheet of an example of where you've had a scenario where the bidding has stopped at a number, the owner would sell for that number, but you were able to demonstrate how you've got that buyer to pay an extra 50, 100, 5,000, 10,000, 500,000 more. Well, it all counts. And how many times have we done that together? Many. How many times have I got an extra dollar on the floor, you know, and you've been so patient, calm, cool, collected around it because we know what the MO is. But why do you think certain real estate agents have been able to last so long if they don't even understand the basic fundamentals? Because it's a known fact. I mean, you just Relationships. You know, I think, um, you know, time in the industry has relationships. Big one, big one. People have been, uh, you know, if you look at the eastern suburbs or, you know, private school culture yeah. where they've had um, great school friends, good networks of people, 
Um, people often feel uh, obliged to give a property to somebody because that's their friend and, and they're in the industry. I think there are a lot of people who don't do enough research on who is in the industry. Yeah, vendors, um, do your research, man. Do yeah. your research. I think you know, it's, it's, a, it's an exciting business that we're in. It's an exciting industry that we're in. Passion's thrown around a lot, but you know, you've got to give everything you have at whatever it is that you love to do to be the best that you want to be. What do you love most about it, the industry, and what do you hate most about it? The one I love most about it for me is I love the chase. Yeah. You know, I, I love, I genuinely get a great thrill. Yeah, yeah, the hunt. At, the You're hunt, a hunter. Yeah. yeah, out of chasing those bids. Yeah. I, I really enjoy it. What do I hate most about the industry? Oh, I don't know. I don't hang out with the industry as much yeah. as I used to. Yeah. So I don't hang out with the industry at all. <laughs> well, I used to, I mean, my business is real estate agent. So, you know, I used to do that a lot more. I don't do it anymore yeah. really at all. Yeah. I've got three kids now. Yeah. I've got a farm down in the Southern Highlands. Yeah. I've got a lot going on. So Yeah, you really do. And I mean, on that, like I've always, it's no secret. I mean, particularly people who know me really well, I'm a wholehearted specialist in what I do, which is yep. listing and selling real estate. There's an umbrella that goes under that. So anything that kind of maps towards that, I'm really, you know, I've got a comprehensive understanding of, but outside of that space, I'm like quite a useless individual, full disclosure. You own restaurants, you're a chef, you're out on the farm, you've got a wool shear. <laughs> award. I mean, you just, it just seems like you have a lot of skills, like, but at the same time are also this wholehearted specialist in the area that you focus on. Where does that come from? Look, the, the, the exercise and the training, like two Ironmans, multiple marathons, um, ultra trails, Australia, yeah. uh, hundred kilometer races, yeah. that stuff helps me be better as an auctioneer. Yeah. As crazy as it sounds, I've always had the attitude of, you know, if my health and fitness is right, everything else falls into place. Absolutely key. You know, scientific, that's scientifically proven. I was off the rails for the last few years, frankly, but yeah. I'm back on track. Right. And as a result of now, I'm doing something totally different. I'm in the gym, you know, and I've never been in the gym before in my life, but I'm in the gym. I'm, you know, I'm there five o'clock, four times a week. Yeah. I'm running as well. So I'm feeling better about myself. So I'm feeling more switched on at work. My standard of excellence in business has always been, you know, haircut every two weeks, polished shoes a couple of times a week. Always orange you know, tie. Looking good, always nice orange suit. tie. Yeah. It's a brand. It's a brand. Yeah. And then that's become my brand. So if I skimp on that, then everything falls away. If I if I have so this that, all that's in your place, not negotiable. Am I non-negotiable? Yeah. Wash car twice a week. Yeah. You know, you just got to feel good about yourself. And if you feel good about yourself, I know why your brother feels so good. I saw him down at Bondi basically upside down doing this ab exercise that I was just like in awe of. He's a freak. <laughs> Machine. But, you know, that's feeling good about yourself. Yeah. I always say, man, look good, feel good, do good. That's yeah. That has been my motto for a long time. And, and I appreciate all of that. And it's very much similar to how I run my business and my life. But the skill set in the other areas is, is that, where does that come from? Oh, look, I'm passionate about cooking. I love, yeah. I love cooking. I love food. Um, I, I really enjoy like now having the farm. I've got cattle. You know, we we recently um, had a steer that we killed and we butchered the meat. And I I bought a dry aging machine and I dry aged the meat for 42 days. And I had it the other day. It was I thought it was amazing. Someone thought it was awful. <laughs> but I mean, 5,000 auctions a year, it's kind of like, you. do you have time for anything else? And it seems like you do. So you must be A, amazing at managing your time and you B, must have a phenomenal team around you. I think for, yes, I've got a phenomenal team. Larissa, who books all of our auctions and basically runs the office is amazing. I think as you get older and you've been in the industry longer, I, I don't need to prospect as much for new business. Sure. Well, you've got a brand now too. It comes to you. So the business that I have has been, many of my clients have been clients for 15, 20 years. 
So unless I do something wrong, I'm not going to lose that client. So if I continue to service them well, do good quality auctions, I'm not going to lose them. So I've got some time in the sense that I can focus on those other passions. And for me, it's become maybe becoming less about what a goal is, but more about being fulfilled about, you know, what are the things that I really enjoy yeah, doing yeah. Me that, too, that makes me happy. Me too. That's um, so important. I got that a lot from Dr. Fred, who has been a great mentor Gross. of mine. Yeah, Fred he, Gross. He's unbelievable. I yeah. haven't actually, I've seen him talk a couple of times and I loved him. I've never re-engaged, but I would love to at some point. Yeah. I think, look, I think it's just about doing things that make you happy. Yeah. You know, my mum died at 66. My dad died a couple of weeks ago, actually. You realise that life's short. And you got to enjoy and yourself. tomorrow is not promised to anybody, right? My error, like I always say this, I've got this view that like I turned 35 in November and it's a really big marathon for me, 35 to 45, the next 10 years to really get this business to a place I, you know, can be proud of. And I'm saying in addition to that, I just want to make sure this is the era of progress and peace. Like I just want peace, you know, and that's, it's, it's pretty similar, right? Because life is too short to do things that you don't want to do, you know, like be a nice guy, be a nice brother, be a nice son. Like if someone's a dickhead, I don't want to deal with them. Like, like I just, as much as you want the commission and you want, but like, you know, you do reach a point, I guess, where you give so much to your craft that, that it becomes tough to keep swallowing. Right. Yeah. I think in, I think in business, you can afford to um, give people time that you're going to get money out of um, because it's slightly different. Like you might have a vendor that is a pain in the neck, but there's a decent fee at the end and you're going to get that deal done. I think yeah. that's different. But friendship is non-negotiable. Yeah. Mark Burris actually said something the other day about, you know, don't being, stop being so generous about the time that you give people that, that aren't giving you what you need back or aren't good to you. And I think that that's a really important thing. Yeah. So spend quality time with the people that you care about. Dee, before we wrap up, when I understand what's the next 10 years for you, what does it look like? What's the plan? How how are you going to go about continuing to dominate the landscape? What if, you know, a younger, you know, Damien Cooley comes out of the woodwork, fucks up, you know, an auction for a big firm, gets fired and decides he wants to start his own own business? How do you combat that and make sure that you're always kind of ahead of the curve? I, I kind of feel like I am that young buck now. <laughs> I tell you that because I'm going through a divorce and yeah, right. uh, I feel like I'm day one in real estate. Yeah, right. I, and I really do. I genuinely mean that. that like that must be super challenging, right? Like, hey, look, it's, it's and you um, never notice it in your when you go on the floor. Yeah, I turn the switch on. You'd, like obviously, I can notice outside the lines. Yep. You know, if you're having a bit of a challenging time, but never when you're on. So how do you disconnect the two? Well, someone said to me the other day, actually it was a journalist, said to me the other day, um, I rang up and said, you know, what did the check getting you to come out and take some photos at one of my auctions and write a story? It wasn't Stephen. And they said, are you back auctioning? And I said, what? What? They said, are you back auctioning? They thought with all the farm photos and Instagram <laughs> and social media stuff that I put personal stuff on there, that I'd step back from auctioneering. And it was actually a, a real Wake sort up of call. come to Jesus Bang. moment yeah, where yeah, I was yeah. like, what I'm putting out there is not everything that I'm doing. Yeah. It, I was focusing more on personal stuff than business stuff. So I deleted every single social media post that I had. That. Yep. And I've changed. And Dane Atherton actually helped me. Um, and and David Gray, I should say, helped me with I like that. Dave Gray. I rang Dave. Yeah. I was talking to Dave. Dave's a good fellow. I like yeah. him. Yeah. Dave, Dave said to me, um, you need to change the narrative. Yeah. You know, 
people think you're a, you're a farmer and uh, and you're <laughs> shearing a, sheep. Yeah, right. Well, you're that too. You're just yeah. a jack of all trades, though. I changed the narrative, so I've done that. Yeah, and and I'm focusing more on auctioneering on, on auctioneering and being back in business and. Um, doing things that I used to do when I first started. Yeah, I love it. Um, so you need my- a bit of both though, right? So I think you still got to have that element you of do. personal. Yep. But then keep the main thing the main thing. Yep, absolutely. Look, I, I mean, I feel like mentally I'm in a good place where I am right now. I'm happy in my relationship. I'm super happy at work. I'd love to be calling more auctions. The volume will come. You know, I've never been a an a five thousand ain't enough. <laughs> Ten thousand would be cool. Ten thousand would be cool. I'm working on it. I've got a few ideas. Yeah. Amazing. So like the next ten years for me, mate, knuckle down, be the best auctioneer I can be, make sure that I work well with the people that work with me and focus on longevity in, in this business. Man, I like that. Anyone wanting to try the difference, highly, highly recommended. Since I did it, I would never look back or anywhere else. But thanks for your time. Thanks, Gav. Looking forward to our next auction. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to Thinking Outside the Box with Gavin Rubenstein. Subscribe now for future episodes.